Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. Good morning. What up, everybody? We're glad you made it. Happy Easter and welcome to church. Thank you so much for making the effort to get here. Check out the full house on Easter Sunday right now. Yeah. Uh. Um, that just fills my heart. We're so glad to see so many of you uh, coming and, and gathering to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's been a weird, it's been a weird two years, hasn't it? And we're, we're coming to this place. It almost feels like we're just like getting ready to start again and getting ready to, to make a new beginning with spring and summer coming. And uh, to see all of you coming back, uh, and I want to let you know right out of the gate, we want to see you back here again next week. Don't, do, don't make this a one-off. Come, we start, next week, we start a new message series called Me and My Big Mouth. So if you struggle with that or you know somebody who struggles with that, <laughs> bring them. Uh, and if you're new to church, if today you're, you showed up in church today, uh, you're new, maybe you're new to the church, you came because it's Easter. You, if you came, if you're here today because your mom made you, respect, respect. We love you. We're glad you're here. If you are new, my name is Bert. I'm one of the pastors here. And something you should know about our church, right out of the gate, we really do believe that he rose from the dead. That's a thing, right? So we're, that's something we believe in. Uh, and so if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know We've been walking through John's gospel. We're going to jump back into that narrative today. I almost forgot to welcome everybody joining us online. Love you guys wherever you might be. Uh, if you're tuning in or taking this in later in the week, we, you're part of our family, and we love you very, very much. And we would love to see you in person sometime soon, so come on down and join us. Uh, and one other thing, one other thing, one other thing before I dive in. Uh, we have a young man in our church who right now is on American Idol. You guys know who Christian Guardino is? Yeah. So... I don't see him now, but I know Christian's parents are in the audience right this minute. So we're praying for Christian. We're excited. He's on tonight. He made it through the last cut. We need to vote again tonight, and you need to vote. Every one of you can vote like 30 times. You can vote 10 different times on each platform. So cheat, okay? Cheat. Do all that. Just vote. <laughs> Keep getting lots of votes. Just make it happen. Yeah, I said it. Email me. Okay, so just go vote. Because this young man wants to glorify God with his life and with his talent, and uh, we want to see that happen, so we're excited for those guys. With that, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into our message for this morning. You guys bow your heads with me. Father, we love you, and we're so excited to gather in your house to celebrate the morning that you rose from the dead. Guide us now and whisper to each of us as we turn to your scriptures. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So it is uh, now, it is, it is dawn on Easter Sunday morning in the narrative, and we have one lonely, solitary figure approaching the tomb while it is still dark. Like even before the sun, the sun is just, the sky is just starting to get purple, and we got one lonely person coming up to the edge of the tomb, and we're going to pick it up right from here. This is John chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Early on Easter Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, 
and we don't know where they have put him. Okay, so something you need to understand, particularly if you're new or newer to church, nobody was expecting the, revel- the, the, the resurrection. Nobody was prepared for Jesus to rise from the dead. It seems like it would be intuitive now. For them, it was not intuitive. Jesus was provably, demonstrably, and extremely dead. So there was no tailgate party outside the tomb. Nobody had the tailgates down. There's no drinks cooling in the coolers. Nobody's playing cornhole. There's nobody like cooking hot dogs, waiting for the countdown when Jesus rises from the dead so we can celebrate. There was none of that. The place was lonely. It was empty. One woman approaches the tomb. Now, why is Mary there? Very simple. There are, there's another gospel account that tells us Mary was carrying embalming spices with her. Now, that's interesting because Jesus had already been embalmed. Uh, on, on Friday, uh, after the crucifixion, uh, basically, it's, it, it's, you know, sunset. It's late in the day. The sun is going down, and it's the Sabbath day, and it's the Sabbath day of Passover weekend. So what happens is two guys, right, uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, prepare Jesus' body for burial. They, they pack it with spices, and they do, according to Jewish burial customs, they prepare the body. But Mary knows that men never do anything right. (laughs) Mary knows this. She knows, first of all, even under the best of circumstances, it's two guys getting this done. But it's two guys who were in a hurry. They, they, They were in a hurry. The sun was going down, and if you don't complete what you're doing by sundown, you know, you you don't get to participate in in the the Passover meal because of the Sabbath rules. It's kind of complicated, but they knew they had to be done by sundown, so they were getting it done. They were were hurrying up, and Mary loves Jesus so much, she's going to show up at the tomb and repack his body to make sure it was done right. That's what she's doing there, and then she gets there, and the stone has been rolled away, and there's no Jesus. So she runs, now catch this, she runs and she tells the other two disciples, Peter and the other disciple, it says, the one whom Jesus loved. Well, what's that about? What's the deal with that? There's like one disciple whom Jesus loved? Didn't he love all these guys? What, what gives? That is, if you're new, new, new to our narrative, that's John identifying himself to us. First century authors never spoke in the first person, which is why at no time in the Gospels do you have any sentences like, Mary came and appeared to me and Peter, or Jesus and I were walking along the river and he said to me. Like, you never have anything like that. Authors don't write themselves into the narrative in the first person. They write themselves into the narrative in the third person. So John's John's identifier to you and me is, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. Now, that's weird for a couple of reasons. One, this was written during the lifetime of the other disciples. So there's a couple of these guys. Did you guys know there's like, I mean, there were 12 of these guys, right? And there's like eight of them about which we know absolutely nothing. Like, does anybody know like anything about the life of Bartholomew? No. And very few people naming their kids after Bartholomew as well. And no Judases around. Okay, so like... You got plenty of, you know, like Matthews and, and, and you know, Johns and Jameses, but not a, lot of, not a lot of Bartholomews. There were people like Bartholomew and Philip and some of these other guys that we know nothing about. And I guarantee you, there were moments 
when these guys got to read the text, like they read, there, there had to have been a moment, right, when they, a couple of these guys read the text and they see John writing himself into the narrative as the disciple Jesus loved. There just had to be a moment. One of these guys went, John, man, not, not cool. <laughs> he loved all of us, not cool. Okay, so, but, and so, but John writes himself into the narrative as the disciple Jesus loved, not because he's trying to say that Jesus didn't love the others or, or even that Jesus didn't love the others as much. Go with me for a minute. John is writing himself into the narrative as the disciple Jesus loved because his deepest sense of who he is, his deepest sense of identity is that he is a person deeply loved by God. And it's my hope for each of you today that you know that you are a man or woman deeply loved by God. So now, John and Peter are hanging out. Mary comes in and says, the tomb is empty. They've taken his body. And then these guys look at each other. And they book and they run to the tomb. Before I get to that, though, one more thing, one more thing about, about the Mary narrative. The Mary narrative in there is one of the reasons why I believe these documents are authentic. I believe these documents are authentic. And what I mean by authentic is, this is a real eyewitness account of stuff that happened. Some of you guys don't buy that, and I get it, and I respect it, and I'm glad you're here, it's totally okay, like, but some of you are here, and you're like, you don't quite line up with all the supernatural stuff. Some of you are here today, and you're like, look, I like the teachings of Jesus, uh, I'm down with love your neighbor, on a good day, I might even be talked into, love your enemy. Cool with all that. I get all that. But the supernatural stuff, I mean, come on. Come on, really? Did he really walk on water? Did he really turn water into wine? That would be a useful trick. Did he, did he really, you know, do blind men receive their sight? Do, do dead men really rise from the dead? All this stuff. Some of you are here and you're like, you, you buy into the teachings, but you're not really too sure about all the supernatural stuff. And I get that. And so if you're thinking that way, you know, from your point of view, some, you know, somebody rearranged the book. Somebody wrote, wrote this stuff in later. Perhaps his followers later in life wanted to keep the dream alive and they wanted to keep the teachings of Jesus going. And so they invented all the supernatural stuff. They created the legend of Jesus by talking, writing in this these crazy stories about miracles and supernatural events. None of that stuff really happened in real life, so they must have written it in later, right? Here's one of the reasons I don't believe that's what happened, because the primary witness to the empty tomb was a woman. Now, I know that sounds weird to you. It's like, well, why, why would that make a difference? It wouldn't make a difference today. You better believe it made a difference in the first century. In the first century, in this part of the world, women were not allowed to inherit. Women were not allowed to own property. Women were not allowed to testify in court. A woman's word in court was categorically inadmissible. They were simply not taken seriously. If you were later cooking up the legend of Jesus, you would never write a woman in as your primary source. You just wouldn't. It's one of the reasons I believe Mary saw it and she ran and tells the other guys. So she tells John and Peter and now John and Peter run. They don't, they don't just jog, they run to the tomb and John records for all of history that everybody should know 
till the end of time that he runs faster than Peter. <laughs> it's right here in the Bible. Okay, here it is. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter <laughs> and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. And he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. So John records for, like, look, these are men, and they're a part of a group, and they're a part of even a group within the group. Like, the 12 were a group, but there were, you know, there was a group within the group. Peter, James, and John were like Jesus' inner circle. And so Peter and John are good friends, and, you know, like, with men, twas always thus, and always thus shall be. There was a little friendly competition between these guys. So you are witnessing in this document 2,000-year-old smack talk. That is absolutely what is going on there. So John records, I outran Peter, I got there first. But John also records, I, I didn't go in. I got there first, but I waited. And we don't, he doesn't say why he waited. He looks, he hesitates, he's on the threshold, he's looking around, but something is keeping him from going in. And then Peter gets there, and Peter has no such compunctions. Peter just jumps in like he's in there, which is curious, which is weird, which, if you think about it, doesn't make a ton of sense given Peter's last interaction with Jesus. Do you remember that? Just as dawn was breaking on Friday, the rooster crows, Jesus makes eye contact with Peter across the courtyard. Peter has denied Jesus three times. Denied he even knew him. Like swore, I would die for you. I'm your ride or die, buddy. I got you. We're in this together. And Jesus is like, man, before the sun comes up, you're going to deny that you know me three times. And it went down just like that. And after the rooster crows, Jesus turns across the courtyard and looks at Peter. And that's the last time Peter sees him. Have you ever had somebody in your life you were trying to avoid? Sure you have. Is somebody in your life you don't want to talk to? Somebody at the office, you know, you just don't want to sit at the lunch table with? Somebody in your family you'd rather not associate with? Somebody you just, like, you just see their name on the caller ID and you're like, ugh. You show up at the party and you see their car and you go, ugh. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah you've done that. Come on, go with me. Why is Peter running towards the tomb? He might just as easily run the other way. Given the last time he looked at Jesus, his next eye to eye with Jesus is going to be profoundly awkward. But he runs toward Jesus in the mess. There's a sermon in there right now that I don't have time to preach. I'm going to come back and preach that one another day. But there's a lesson in there for us. Peter runs towards him. They get there. They don't know what's going on. They see that the tomb is empty. And then they believe and they, and they return to the other disciples. They go back. Next verse. Mary 
was standing outside the tomb crying. This is verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Mary Magdalene finds the other disciples and said, I have seen the Lord. And here we see very clearly in the scriptures, the first evangelist was a woman. It's right there. So now she comes out of the tomb and Jesus is there, but she doesn't recognize him. Now what's going on with that? It's not clear whether or not Jesus was messing with her, like in terms of disguising himself. It's not clear if Jesus disguises his identity. It is clear that he's totally messing with her when it comes to, like, when he says, like, when he says, dear woman, who are you looking for? I mean, you better believe there's a mischievous grin on his face. Jesus is having some fun right now. He's been through the horror of the crucifixion. He's gone through the beating and the shame and the torture and all that terrible, terrible, terrible stuff that's all behind him. He's resurrected. He's alive again. He has risen from the dead, and now he wants to have some fun. So he's just messing with Mary. 100% is what is going on. So, Mary, who are you looking? And then she sees him and she clings to him and she runs and tells the others, I have seen the Lord. The others are having a hard time believing this. The others are like, what is going on? There's a lot of confusion. No one's real clear on the narrative. Very next verse, we find the apostles together fearful. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Don't be faithless any longer. 
believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Thomas gets a bad rap, doesn't he? Thomas, Thomas got a bummer of a deal. He went, history, he went down in history how? As doubting Thomas. Oh, Thomas. If only you had had a little more faith like the other disciples, maybe you would have had a cooler nickname. But no, you went down in history as doubting Thomas. No. I think Thomas gets a bum deal. Thomas is like, he gathers, all the other guys are like, no, seriously, he's alive. Thomas is like, I'm not buying it. I don't understand what you guys are, are on right now. I don't know if this is some kind of group hallucination. Don't know what is happening in the room and why you all believe this for the moment, but I'm not gonna believe it until I touch the wounds. I need to see him. I need some evidence. I need some proof. And some of you are right there. Some of you are right there tonight. I don't know if I buy it. I don't know if I believe it. I want to see something. I want to see some proof. This is your invitation. Jesus says, come, put your finger in the wound. Come and see. Come and connect with me. You, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who believe even when they've not seen. What Jesus is saying there is, if you could today walk up and put your hand into the wound to see the risen Jesus, it wouldn't require any faith. Faith is going to be required of you at some point. Which is why Jesus next says to, to Thomas what he might be saying to some of you today. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Put your faith in him today. You're like Thomas, you're waiting. You're, 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 looking for some, you're looking for some kind of sign. You're like John, you're there. You're at the edge of the tomb, but you haven't gone in. You're at the threshold. You're here week after week. You feel God tugging at your heart. You experience something happening in the worship. You hear these words and they land on you and you feel moved, but you've never been too sure of what to do with it. And you feel like God is tugging at you and pulling at you. And now is the moment, now is the time. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Put your faith in him. No. Righteousness is available because he goes to the Father. Our sins, yours and mine, paid for in full when we believe. You are invited. Don't pass on that invitation. There is a one-chapter epilogue to the Gospel of John that we will return to another time. For today, the narrative pauses right here. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these things are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we're so grateful that we get to read over John's shoulder to see what he wrote. This eyewitness who was there for all this amazing content, for these amazing events. Father, it's in all of us to doubt. 
like Thomas, to wait, to look for signs, to look for you to somehow prove yourself to us as if you have something to prove to us, as if we get to adjudicate over whether or not you're real. Father, all of us have it in us to be like John, to come to the end, to come to the edge of something, hang on the threshold, and not finally go in. I pray for myself, I pray for all of us here, every single one of us. May we be faithless no longer. We believe. Help our unbelief as we move towards you. May that be true in my life. May that be true in all of our lives. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone, and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.